Get ready for Solomon's. Hey, giving the glory to God. Yeah, you're hanging with Jason and Sean. Get ready for Solomon's. Oh, keeping it real, keeping it relevant. Hey, come hang with the squad. Hey, let's talk about it, talk about it. CHA should a movie scene. Got a lot of questions, throw them in the air. From the east to the west and everywhere in between. Uh, let's get it, let's get it, we going in. You ain't heard about Solomon's, where you been? Sit back and relax with a cup of joe. Here we go, I'll let the show begin. Welcome back yeah. to Solomon's Porch with yeah. your host, Jason. Show begin. What's up, man? You good? Oh, what's up? Just eating some breakfast. Oh, okay. What are you eating? Uh, some wheat toast. Okay, cool deal. Cool deal. Drink, drink some coffee. I think the, uh, the the listeners of the show might prefer wheat toast as well. Y'all let us know in the comments, and uh, yeah, man. Well, let's get this thing started. Oh, we're recording. Well, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, let, I didn't, let, I didn't let, warn you. I mean, not by here. I really got to start warning you about that. Those those starts of the show. So, uh, speaking of which, how do you like my hat? You think it looks cool? Pride comes before the fall. Yeah, so that's all right. That's the new hat I got from TrueStrengthApparel.com. Y'all can head over there, check out all this stuff. Uh, I'm a fan of black and gray, so uh, I went with this hat, but he's got a bunch of other stuff over there. So uh, True Strength Apparel sponsor for the podcast. Uh, shout out to Aaron Simpkins and all he does for the show. So there's kind of a lot of news this week and uh, and then some unfortunate news as well. So let's start off with some of the better stuff in a way, and then we'll just kind of leave the, 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 the latter part of the sh- uh, news segment. For kind of the bad piece. But um, so Super Bowl, I didn't watch the Super Bowl. And I, I always you, you know you, you didn't really miss anything because okay. uh, I know you, you would have pulled for anybody other than Tom Brady. So pretty much. Yeah. So uh anyway, so what did you think of the Super Bowls? I didn't watch it, so I didn't see the Super Bowls. I saw a couple of like post Super Bowl commercials. What were your thoughts on those? Were they good this year? <clears throat> well, yeah, you know, there were definitely some standouts. I feel like that, um, you know, there have definitely been some years where there were, on the whole, um, there were more, and they all kind of brought their their A game. This year seemed a little bit more slack, I'd say. I know that they had some big TV personality, TV and movie personalities, um, but they still really weren't that good. Um we only got one Marvel uh, or comic book related um, trailer, and that was a uh, slightly updated Falcon Winter Soldier trailer, which was good. Um, you know, I mean, it's still exciting because it is what it is. Yeah. But it it wasn't like it was like the first time that we've seen anything from them. So, you know, what kind of excitement level do you have with that? I, you know, it's kind of hard to say. Um, yeah. That was it. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I, I I can mention some of my favorites. Do, okay. do you have anything in particular? Uh, I mean, not me particularly. I, mean, I, I saw the Falcon Winter Soldier, and then I did see later on they were talking about a Scientology commercial that was up. And then I realized Scientology commercials are actually in every Super Bowl, which huh. I never realized. And, you know, I guess everybody thought they were like humanitarian advertisements 
until you see like Scientology on the back of somebody's jacket in, in this one from this year. And then a coworker of mine, he, he kind of looked into Scientology a while back. And the reason why they do that is they spend so much amount of money because if they don't and they just hoard all the money they bring in from their members, then the, um, the government will not recognize them as a nonprofit anymore. So they have to spend a certain amount of money in order to keep their nonprofit status. And so, so why not drop millions on uh, Super Bowl ads? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, so. there you have it. Um, I, you know, for me, I would say that um, Jeep had one of the best commercials. Uh, you see Bruce Springsteen, which if you hadn't seen him in a while, you might not would have recognized him right off the bat. Uh, and he's driving around in this old Jeep. And you're just like, oh, that's cool. And, and if you're a fan, you know, if you're a fan of Bruce, then you know it's 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 cool anyway. But he's just like talking, right? And it's just really kind of mellow. He's really introspective. He's talking about the country. He's talking about healing. He's talking about being positive and, and coming together. And he's he's in literally. He he goes to this little church that is literally the middle of the country. It is exact center of the continental United States, and um, which is you know really cool. I didn't even know that that existed, um, but it felt very inspiring. Uh, there are other inspiring videos or commercials. Uh, the Vince Lombardi uh, video that they showed uh, was kind of like a. Um, they kind of made a little bit of a commercial later, but it was also sort of the intro to the Super Bowl as well. Um, again, inspiring speech, which was by Vince Lombardi. But it, it, what I think that was really cool about it was that, um, you know, they did a CG version of him because, of course, he's passed away, uh, long since passed away. And he's walking through neighborhoods and, and you know, interacting with people. And so that, that, that was kind of neat. I, I liked it. It showed diversity. And that was kind of part of the point of that. On that same level of, of uh, talking about diversity, the NFL also had a commercial about social justice. Now, uh, I tried to find it on YouTube, but it looks like it's been taken down um, because hmm. of content based off of the NFL, uh, the NFL having removed it. So I couldn't find an official NFL-sanctioned uh, video of it. Um, it. You know, it's, it's interesting to see how... The NFL has gone from, you know, the whole Kaepernick, you know, we're, we're, we're mad at you, we're upset with you, the whole response, um, you know, him being let go, and, and, and not that that was necessarily specifically the NFL who did that, but um, all that transpired in the lack of support during that time frame by the NFL, and now they're very supportive. You know, I, I, I'm hoping that it's not a bandwagon thing, but rather a true, legit change in their perspectives. You know, for me, when when the Kaepernick thing first, you know, set off, I was like, dude, that's rude. And, you know, I, you know, yeah, can him. I Get rid of him. You know, any player that's not willing to stand up during the national anthem, boot him out, you know. Um, and... You know, I, I still feel like it, 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 it can be very disrespectful. I understood where he was coming from even then. 
but I think that I see the greater importance now more than ever before. And I think that's why I would be more likely to, um, I, I don't know, be more willing to say, I, I see what, what you're doing, I hear you, and I'm not going to raise a guff about it. And I think that's where the NFL is, too. They say, I see you, I see the importance, I see what's going on, and, you know, I I, I hear you. And so we're going to stand by and we're going to support you being able to voice that. So that was cool. Yeah, I, I saw some somebody talking online about the NFL trying to smooth things over, but then they were saying how they didn't, it didn't seem like they were apologizing to Kaepernick for the wrong that they did and, and stuff like that. And I haven't followed this story in a long time. Like, I just kind of, I, I don't follow that stuff. And I haven't watched NFL in two years now. So I'm just not a part of, um, I just haven't been a part of that storytelling or whatever the narrative. And, right. Uh, but hopefully it's not, like you said, hopefully it is from a genuine place and not just for money. Because, you know, I don't know who watches NFL more, you know, racist white people or, uh, super duper proud conservatives or or black individuals who were for what Kaepernick did. Uh, there's a different ray and groups of people out there. And I do know that super ultra conservative folks uh, hated what Kaepernick did for for you know whatever perspective they're coming from. And then but then there were also military people who still respected what he did. So I didn't feel like yeah. there was a right or wrong thing to do. Even in military perspective, there wasn't a right or wrong thing to do. So it's just my personal opinion, you know, or everybody's personal opinion is what was really coming out, not necessarily a uh, objectively right or wrong in that case. So, so uh, two commercials that I would say that are probably most notable that I enjoyed the most. There was an Edward Scissorhands, uh, Timothy, I can't think of his last name. Um, moody kind of actor guy so you know definitely fit the the part of of edward scissorhands son um and i i you know it, it was it was just cool because it, it was a nice retro throwback but it wasn't like overly done it was kind of practical it, it felt appropriate uh it had enough humor to it that it kind of kept you engaged um but it wasn't over the top so uh, there were definitely some over-the-top ones. Um, the one with uh, Will Ferrell. No, Will. I don't know. Anyway, the the guy from um, Anchorman. Yeah, Will Ferrell from yeah, Holmes Will and Ferrell. Watson. Yeah, yeah, I try to forget about that movie, but <laughs> anyway, that, that was that that one was lame. I, I you know, I, I get the idea of it and everything, but I, you know, I don't know. I guess maybe I just don't like his humor. But uh, probably to me, the funniest one, the one that I laughed at the hardest, continued to laugh at, and quote, is Paramount's uh, Plus um, advertisement with um they they have a, a, a an array of different folks from different shows but um oh yeah i can't yeah, I, I can't think of the actress's name uh but michael burnham from star trek discovery and they're climbing this mountain it's the paramount mountain and they've got this icy bridge overpass and she goes to step toward it and it starts to crack 
And she turns around, she says to the whole group, and it's a whole cast of, of different people from different shows, and she says, you know, it's it, we're going to be too heavy. We're not going to be able to to cross this. There's a big crack in, in the ice. And then you see Beavis and Butthead. Uh, 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 she said, crack. Uh, uh, uh. And I just, I couldn't help myself. The look that, that Michael Burnham gives is is just, they reminded me of my daughter, you know. Right, I, right. Every once in a while, I, I I get in that you know twelve year old stupid boy kind of thing, and 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 she looks at me with that same look. So I absolutely loved it. That was probably my favorite of all. Yeah, I remember seeing that was hilarious. So yeah, I was kind of sad we didn't get more trailers from anything updated trailers. I mean, I knew they wouldn't give yeah. us a. I mean, they can't show us any more Black Widow. They've been trailering that for ever. Yeah. Uh, without giving away important story plots. And then, you know, I was kind of hoping for a lot more new Justice League stuff, but the actual trailer for that's dropping tomorrow, which we actually did get a look at the um, the new Dark Side. They did give us a small snippet, I think, yesterday. And so with some stuff with a more 4K-looking Dark Side and some more action sets, action pieces, uh, the, the Stefan Wolf, the new Stefan Wolf look, the Dark Side logo there uh, a whole lot of decent action pieces in this little snippet that they did give us so i'm excited to see what they show us tomorrow uh on the 14th of valentine's day so um yeah that 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 little bit of clip of uh dark side has been out for for a minute but um it, you know i think that when you're talking about um trying to give us anything new um it, it's it again it's it's going to be difficult i mean i know that there's a lot of new material and everything yeah. um but what they've already kind of shared with us i feel like is the max that they can do you know they, they've given us a glimpse into some scenes that didn't exist prior to um the snyder cuts uh so things that we just you know didn't really exist and so we've got that glimpse, but we already know what the movie's about. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's not a whole lot of change there except for the dark side aspect of things. Um, so I, I don't know how much more that they're really going to be able to give us. Um, you know, I, I think that introducing dark side was definitely, you know, integral because frankly, Steppenwolf is not. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he, he's he's Steppenwolf. Who, who, who's Steppenwolf? You know what I'm saying? So, whatever. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, so, just kind of staying on that train of thought, you know, the the original version we got uh, was done by Josh Whedon. He's the one that, or Joss Whedon, he's the one that came in, took over the shooting whenever Zack Snyder left that project. Well, apparently, Ray Fisher came out, I don't know, a year or so ago and was talking about the the how he didn't mesh well with them. There was issues in their recording process. And I mean, you got somebody coming in mid film or however far along Joss is trying to hurry up, meet deadlines. So I get the little bit of tension and stress that he has, you know, put on his shoulders for such a big ginormous movie. Uh, but apparently here lately, Michelle uh, Trakenberg from Buffy the Vampire Slayer said that, um, she also said that there were issues with bad behavior from Joss Whedon. They're not 
allowed to be in a room together. He's not allowed. I don't know if it's her call that he can't be in the same room with her, at least not alone. That's not work specific related. So I thought it was interesting and just kind of curious to know what all these issues are with Josh, Josh Whedon. I mean, the Avengers, he did fine. Like I haven't heard anything about the Avengers cast. Cause I think did, did he do the first one too? I know he did age of Ultron, but, um, I want to say he did the first Avengers as well, but I hadn't heard anybody talk about it. So uh, I'm just curious to know what's going on with this man, uh, why people are having issues with him. Also, speaking of drama, uh, so Gina, is it Carano? Is, is that how you I say think it? So. Yeah, it sounds right. So she has been fired from The Mandalorian. Uh, she's actually producing her a, a new film with the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro. So apparently she's been an outspoken conservative individual. Uh, in the past, last year, she kind of mocked the, the mask situation. She wasn't necessarily a huge supporter of wearing mask, you know, just, I guess, not finding it effective and things like that. And then she also had spoken out saying that there, were, there was voter fraud going on. Uh, she was... I guess in favor of, of Trump, she was for Trump. So she was speaking out against Biden's results, things like that. And then lately she did another thing the other day. And I don't know if this is the reason why they let her go, but they said they've kind of been eyeballing or playing around with the idea of letting her go because of those things. But she also compared Republicans to the Jews in the Holocaust. So, yeah, that being a Republican in today's uh, society was like being a Jew during the Holocaust in terms of persecution. And, and you know, I, the, here's the thing is that one, um, she has to know that her her career was kind of teetering anyway, or else she just wasn't paying attention to any other social media other than what she was posting. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so you know that if you're going to continue in that vein, you, you're they're, they're going to eventually just, you know, cut ties. There's just no way around that. So she had to see this coming. This, this, this couldn't have been a surprise for her. Um, and, and, and so, you know, really it's of her own doing and volition at, at this point in time. She, she's willing to say, Hey, I, I, I don't care whatever it is that I I'm saying, I believe in enough that I don't care about the work or <laughs> work in the future for that matter. Yeah. You know, not, and, and, and not being anti-Semite, but largely, historically at least, um, Hollywood has been run by the Jewish community. Are you really seriously going to go into that environment and compare, make some sort of comparison to, to what they have endured culturally as, as a people? I, I mean, that, that's, that's just stupid. Yeah, I mean it's it's it it is borderline moronic, to be honest with you, and and this is coming from someone. I, honestly, I I I wanted more of her. I wanted to see uh, more of her acting skills. We saw it progressing; it was getting better. I was anxious to see a show with with her being as as the lead and the feature, and 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 so there was so much hope there. It was just kind of like you know, if, if you could just shut up and keep your your opinions to yourself then you'll be okay you know but now i will say this at the same time though you, you know i don't agree with chris evans a lot of the times and he posts a lot of offensive stuff in my opinion 
It's offensive. It is personally offensive. And that was what was quoted was that, you know, she had been saying offensive things or insensitive things. And it's like, okay, well, so if you're going to fire for saying something insensitive, then you got to fire everybody. Yeah, yeah. There is literally not going to be a TV show or a movie produced except for This Is Us. That, Well, maybe This Is Us. Uh, this is us without any of the homosexual stuff. I, I don't. I don't know. How, how do you, How do you How do you do anything without offending somebody somewhere down the line? You yeah. know what I'm saying? So I mean, it, oh, go ahead. It, 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 at least if you're going to fire her for for being stupid, say that. <laughs> you know, hey, you know, th- this was really moronic, and this is something that we can't support. Just saying that she said sensitive things. No, the, I, I can't go with that. You you, you got to apply that to everybody then. Yeah, and that's that's always my biggest thing, is at least be consistent with the way you make calls. Um, obviously, she's Republican, right leaning instead of left leaning. You know, there was an issue a while back. Um, Pedro Pascal, the uh, the guy that plays Mandalorian, I can't remember Mandalorian. his name. Um, I was thinking of the character's actual name. Oh, Dinjarn. Dinjarn, yeah. Uh, So in his Twitter profile, he's got uh, he, his, like identifying his gender. And she was saying, I'm not going to identify my gender. Like, just because y'all are telling me I have to do that. So she's already got an issue. She's she's been called a, um, what is it, a a turf, a transphobic like extreme modern feminist or something like that uh the idea that that there are feminists who are against transgenderism because obviously if a man's becoming a woman he's got to do certain things for that to happen and feminists are more like no we're equal like there is no stereotypical traits that men and women have xyz anyway so people were calling her a, a turf which is a new thing that i heard and so anyway so her being right wing, I'm definitely not surprised that Ben Shapiro came and, and signed her up. And apparently Daily Wire is going to be doing like TV shows, comedy things, all sorts of stuff. And I, I got a feeling that somebody's eventually going to create a conservative network, aside from Fox News network, that allows for conservative people to speak their minds. You know, it's like this goes back to Tim Allen, Last Man Standing, whenever he was on Jimmy Kimmel and he was spotted. Uh, Tim Allen was spotted at a Trump rally and you know you could tell tim allen was trying to not talk about it jimmy kimmel brought uh-huh. it up and as soon as he was like yeah yeah i mean i was there he was like you know i didn't make it huge publicly known because you know hollywood is very anti-right leaning and, and tim allen is and the thing is tim allen did a good job on last man standing on representing both sides like yeah. he, he still, you know, he had a, a son-in-law and a daughter who were very left-leaning, and he didn't make them seem like idiots or morons the whole time. I mean, obviously he would say things, but at the end of the, the show, he would share you know kind of an idea that, hey, I understand where they're coming from. We can't necessarily just kick them out, yada, yada, yada. Right. I, I, I You know, honestly, I've always taken the view of, of the show as being everybody's an idiot or moron except for him. And, th- and and then he comes to a point where he says, oh, OK, I, I can live with you and, and we can come together and we can work things out. And and, and you're right. And, and, and at least there was always that, and, you know, even his wife was uh, a Hillary supporter. Mm. Uh, 
And and so you, you mean know, the real life or on the show? On on the show. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I I don't know anything about his real life. Okay. Um. So you know, at least in the show, and you know, how much of it is the writers? But he still had to go along with it, just the same. Yeah. You know, it's it's still sort of essentially his show. He could have put his foot down and walked away. Yeah. Um. So he he still rolled with with those punches and felt like that it was a good balance. And and I'm sure he had, um, a, a great deal of contribution to all of that. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. I think that the, the, that's a great example of being able to be conservative, being able to have um, a Republican in the industry and still do what they do. You know, I, I, we've talked about um, um, Chris. Um, oh. Chris Pratt. Pratt. Thank you. Yeah. Pratty Pratt Pratt. He does um, a great job. Yeah, it, again, an, an, another one of those actors that is definitely a Republican, definitely conservative, um, but does a good job of balancing it, not being rude, not being overbearing. And, you know, Gina, I think she, she could have taken some notes from these uh, from these two guys, you know, not yeah. not to. I mean, it's, you know, I'm sorry that they're guys, but, you know, whatever. Um, but the way that they've handled things is, has been. You know, a, a, I think a, a testament to their their character as as people. So yeah. anyway, yeah, man. Well, let's move on. So just don't become a political show. <laughs> I, yeah, I hate, yeah, I hate politics and not get to it. No, that's all good, man. We gotta we gotta touch on it when it comes up. So that, that doesn't sound right. Um, so let's move on. So Last of Us is a uh, a video game that came out several years ago, and I played it last year. I think whenever Corona hit. And there were, you know, stay-at-home orders, all that kind of stuff. I ended up buying a PS4 and some games for it. And this is one of the games that I ended up buying because it had high reviews, high ratings. And it was a really great game. It was fun. Uh, I don't know. It just a really good story. And now they're actually doing... They actually have a sequel to that game. But they're doing a HBO series, which is featuring uh, Gina Carano, uh, her, her ex co-cast member pedro pascal and also uh bella ramsey from game of thrones she played i guess the youngest daughter from the stark family and so uh so pedro will be playing joel and looking at it i'm not entirely sure i don't know i mean i guess if he grows his beard out he could pull it off what do you think yeah i I, i'm sure a full beard and you know it's it's Hollywood, so who knows? Yeah. Right. I, well, I mean, it's HBO Hollywood, but yeah. And then we got Bella Ramsey as Ellie. Uh, I feel like she could pull it off again. You know, obviously they're not going to look identical to those individuals, but close enough is their goal. Close enough. That, and, that that's not a great picture of her, by the way. Yeah, I don't know. This is the comparison. I just pulled it off of Google. I'm sorry, y'all. Sure, no, no, I, I get it. <laughs> but we also. Uh, and, and and speaking of 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 Mandalorian, this is a lot of roll-ins today. Uh, we have Mark Ruffalo possibly joining the MCU. I mean, not the MCU, uh, uh, Mandalorian, the, the Mandalorian wow. universe. So, so uh, Vincent Schilling on Twitter, he he had a post about the Golden Globes. He said, "This is the way." Congrats, Baby Yoda, the Mandalorian at Mark Ruffalo get Golden Glove nominations. And then Mark Ruffalo said, I guess I'm a Mandalorian now. And then he tagged Pedro Pascal, hashtag this is the way. 
And then Pedro, he responded with his tweet. Don't tease me. Hashtag be my Mando bro, Mark Ruffalo. And you can actually see that he, him, and his, his title there. So, um, so when it comes to Hollywood and these type of things, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt, whatever that actually means. And we can't necessarily say based on this little interaction that Mark Ruffalo will be joining Mandalorian. However, he's from the MCU. He knows what little subtleties mean. Maybe you do things in a public eye. Do you think Mark Ruffalo would be good on Mandalorian? And if so, what type of character would you want him to be? Well, <clears throat> you know, I, I think what's probably going to end up happening is, and, and we've already sort of seen it, is that we're going to have actors that are going to slip in and play small parts here and there. Mm -hmm. So even if he's just an extra Mandalorian, yeah. You know, we're not going to recognize that, oh, that that's Mark, you know. It's it's just going to be, wait, wait a minute, Mark was supposed to be in this episode, but who was he? And then we're going to research him and find out that, oh, he was, you know, Mandalorian number 223 in the background. <laughs> I, you know, whatever. Um, you, you know, we, we've had it in, in, in other Star Wars uh, movies as well. Uh, actors that have played Stormtroopers, and you're like, oh, what? I, I didn't know that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I'm interested to see what he does. Uh, I am a little bit excited to see if he does join it. You know, uh, as a as a like a regular character, not as a hidden, you know, uh, cameo behind the scenes. I, I I think he's too iconic in 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 the Disney verse that he he. I don't think he can do that. You think so? Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, I mean, he is going to be on She-Hulk, the series, so we can look out for him there at least. And uh, last bit of news that I had for regular news is, and I did a short video on this yesterday, uh, Ravi Zachariah, there were rumors that came out, accusations whenever he passed away, shortly after he passed away in May of 2020, that of uh, sexual misconduct. There was a thorough investigation done, and uh, the results are in, and they are unfortunately true. So a lot of things that he did. He used, uh, you know, organizational money to pay for young women. Uh, he would pay their bills and finances and even sent one to culinary school to continue being a masseuse for him. And all of these are like masseuse-related things. So he had a bad back, achy joint, stuff like that. And so, so, he, so he sent her to culinary school? She wanted to go to culinary school, and he agreed to pay her way. And he agreed to pay away for several people and... Things like that. Okay. Um, he didn't have because that has nothing to do with being a masseuse. It, it does make moose. It, it, it doesn't. So um, and sometimes you massage bread or you know <laughs> yeah. maybe uh, uh, some sort of seasoning into a meat or something. Yeah. the uh, The unfortunate thing though is that they are true, and so a lot of people are trying to figure out like, what do we do with this as the church? What do we learn from it? And I said real quick yesterday, and you can share any thoughts you may have, Sean, is I did say that we have to walk in godliness if we are in the public. If we're in the private eye, we still need to walk in godliness. Every Christian should walk in godliness. Those in the public eye putting out teaching stuff. I mean, he was a well-known apologist, one of the forefront people in apologetics around the world. Like, this just wasn't America. Around the world, he was well-known. These things come out, 
And obviously atheists are going to debunk everything he said just based on his character. I've already seen people questioning the things that he taught as like, these can't be true because he did this. And this is just a couple of days after. So, well, you know, we, we had a, uh, an episode where we were talking about, um, you know, people that are in ministry and, you know, when there is, uh, something that comes out that they've done that's uh, by world standards is, is epically wrong. And, um, you know, do, do we throw out all of the positive things? Do we throw out all the teachings that were, you know, perhaps accurate or meaningful? Um, do, do we erase everything that he did that was in line with God's will? just because certain areas of his life wasn't. And, and and I don't mean to downplay what he did as if it were, you know, acceptable or correct or, or whatever, but but rather to be able to say that, you know, we, we all fall short of the glory. Um, and some people just fall, you know, I, I, unfortunately, these people that have a lot more money, have a lot more pressure. They do things that are more extreme than than a lot of the average people. Um, you know, I, I think that it's harder now because we're, we're looking for inspiration and positivity and we're looking for heroes, um, even though we have heroes around us all the time. Um, but uh, there's a quote from Matthew Henry that, that I'd like to share that um, I think is probably the epitome of the characteristic that not only should we desire to have within uh, leadership roles, but definitely within our own selves. And this was something that I picked up from um, Dr. David Jeremiah's Turning Point devotional. So for whatever that's worth to you. Uh, Though the gracious soul still desires more of God, it never desires more than God. And, you know, that, that, that selfishness, that desire to fill our lives with something other than God, you know, whether it's money, whether for me, it's usually photography or food, uh, anything that gets in the way of, of placing God first and foremost. And, but in realizing that we all do that and his just looked like this, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, so yeah, those are our thoughts. Uh, music news. There's not a whole lot that we have on on board for this week. Uh, no, it's two items. So we do have. Well, I'm gonna throw in there. Brutalities, uh, worldwide desolation. We did an interview with them and we did a review of the album, but that is available. Uh, just in case you happen to miss those and you listen to the podcast and didn't catch the other stuff, so that is available now and it, it's it's good, y'all. It's good. Go check out our review on uh, on YouTube. And Love and Death has finally dropped their album, Perfectly Preserved. We are going to be reviewing that uh, a little bit later, so you can check out that and uh, get our thoughts on that album more thoroughly detailed. Uh, I did enjoy the album as a whole, so I'll just kind of share that. And Rare Breed, he sent me this song called For Me about a year ago. And I had asked him, when are you dropping this? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, when are you dropping it? He said, I don't know. I asked him like six months ago, when are you dropping it? I, I don't know what to do with it. He's like, it doesn't really fit the theme of my upcoming album, I, I think is what he had said at the time. 
And um, but he finally dropped it, and it was like boom. And I was like, yes, I can finally play it on a show because uh, because I've had it for a while, and it was just like, and it's really really good song. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's a great track, and you know, I I think in the email when when he sent it out to to everybody uh, announcing that that it was available. Uh, I mean, I, 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 you have to buy it. It's not free. Um, of course, you can stream it. But um, his his element or his reasoning for um, desire for releasing it at this point was that you know we've come off of 2020, these hard times, whatever, whatever you've experienced, whatever you've gone through, and that this song was. That this was the right time for it to drop, to be able to meet the needs of the people, and I, I, I totally respect that about him. He, you know, certainly we would have loved to have had it earlier, but um, I, I think that the fact that he he waits uh, on the Lord, he, he waits on the Spirit to speak to him to say this now, and 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 that's you know his obedience to Christ is 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 amazing and, and wonderful to see. So, absolutely. So go check that out. And if, if I mean, if you're a rare breed fan, you listen to the show. You've already heard it by now. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's it for the news this week. Sorry, there was a lot, but we wanted to discuss a lot of it. So we'll be uh, back with another segment soon. Stay tuned. You can see there's a promise upon the horizon that's intertwined. See, it's more than a message. It's more than a song. It's more than a verse. Because where you surrender is where you'll be met. And that's something that's hard to describe in the words. I know that storm is brewing. And it's getting much harder to navigate. It got me wondering why when I'm asking these questions, I'm looking for answers of how we're going to make it. I have to be patient. That's all I hear. But tell me when it outweighs a fear. When will it dissipate? When will it all be clear? I need to have that peace. How can I bring it here? Then I heard, be still. Draw near to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just trust and believe in me. Let it go. I will battle. For you, you don't have to fight no more. Even through the valley of the shadows, I know you are with me wherever I go. Even in the moments I can't see, I know you have always been for me, for me, for me. I know you have always been for me, for me, yeah. for me. Lord, you have always been for uh. me. Erasing a doubt, I walk through the shadows and knowing there's light on the other side. There's perseverance and there's also patience. They work together, but it takes some time. The life we've been given's a blessing, and everybody shares a day with the rain. But if we work together, we can stand the weather one for another. We'll pray through the pain. There's purpose in it. You may not know that now, but you'll learn that it's true. Sometimes we feel like that we can change it, but it's not all about what we think we can do. I need your attention. I hope that you listen, and maybe we'll stand on some solid ground. If you wondered away and you need to come home, I assure you it's true that His grace abounds, and as far as the east from the west, He will reach you and. 
clean up the mess It's a promise, you'll see that it's written Forgiveness is there, we just gotta confess Then I heard, be still, draw near to me My yoke is easy and my burden is light Just trust and believe in me, let it go I will battle for you, you don't have to fight no more I know that you walk with me Chasing me shine in darkness and the darkness will not overcome it believe that welcome back to solomon's porch with your host jason and this guy Th this guy is that the, the, oh it's the, sean the video the video is lagging so it's not showing me pointing down at my name <laughs> and sean okay. and sean we have got to i'll tell you man i've been i've been so frustrated we did the anyway I ain't going to worry about it right now. Yeah. We were doing anyway. our round five uh, African-American-led films in honor of uh, Black History Month here in mm -hmm. February. We wanted to do something and not try to feel like we're having to research fake information. At least I, if me personally. So I was given a lot of lists and things like, hey, you know, here's some good lists you can pick from of like inventors and entrepreneurs and, you know, theologians and... I don't really know any of those well enough to make a top my personal top five list. Yeah, I I, I couldn't either for sure. You know, and in our show is mostly about celebrities and movies and you know comic books. So yeah, yeah, and we've done uh, you know we, we've done other lists and stuff before, but this is our uh, first time doing a African American led film round five. So Sean, uh, I'm gonna let you lead off first, sir. <clears throat> well, this is an oldie but a goldie. Uh, I, I hate saying that, but I did it anyway. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop. I, I grew up with Beverly Hills Cop. And uh, yeah, there you go. Detroit City. Um, Eddie Murphy, man. I mean, yeah. you're looking at him. How, how do you not laugh? You know, he, he's just such a fun-loving guy. There's so much stuff. I, I watched this not long ago, um, and, and I was like, oh, man, I remember those things. You know, it was such a throwback for me. But uh, probably one of my, my favorite little uh, segments is uh, the banana and the tailpipe. You know, it's just uh, – if you don't know the reference, you'll have to watch the movie. But uh, it's, it, it's <laughs> great. There's action. There's laughter. There's more laughter. And yeah. uh, and and it's Eddie Murphy. So, what what do you say? Yeah, just the trailer. I haven't seen the full film, so just the trailer alone made me want to. Really? See it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Sounds dude, you like... gotta watch it. And 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 two and three are great movies too. But the first movie, there's just nothing like it. Gotcha, gotcha. So my number five uh, might throw some people off is intro to the Spider Verse. 
So, yes, it's animation, but the main character in the story is African-American, or African-American and Latino, and then the actor is African-American. So, I, it's a great film, probably one of the best Spider-Man films, period. A great story. You got the introduction into the idea of a multiverse in films, in, in Marvel films. The animation of it was great. I love how they had the comic book snippets in there, like the, the wording and all those things. The way they played off of that was great. Seeing the, uh, the, the, the father, uncle, you know, relationship with his father, relationship with his uncle, all of those things just made it for a really fantastic story. <clears throat> Seeing his struggle, I think, you know, people always related to the original Spider-Man, like being a young kid trying to be a hero. I think a lot of people also relate to uh, Miles Morales, and his particular thing, like, no, I don't want to be a hero. Like, don't make me do this. I don't want this responsibility. And I think a lot of people nowadays, they feel like that. It's like, I don't want all this huge responsibility anymore. Like, don't, you know, I don't want to be the hero. Not that he wants to be a bad person, but he doesn't want to have all that weight on him, which is yeah. understandable. A lot of people feel that way. It was hilarious. It was a great comedy film. And just overall, man, uh, I think it's it was one of the, um, it, it is one of the, the top, Probably my favorite animation movie, period. And then top three Spider-Man films uh, of all time, I I'd have to say. So it ranks very high for me. So Wow, that that, that is saying a lot. It, it is also the only animated movie that my daughter will watch. Oh, cool, cool, awesome, yeah. awesome. So let's go to number four. All right, number four. The uh, 2019 release of Shaft. I've He's never a seen bad mother. Shut your mouth. I've never seen any Shaft movies. Really? At all. Oh man, you're missing out. So culturally, the very first one uh was directed by um a photographer. Gosh, his name is slipping my mind. African American photographer. Uh super um super awesome photographer, actually. He he directed other movies. Um but uh I, you know when you're when you're talking about uh, action films, I I don't know that there's Gordon Parks is who I was thinking of photographer. Okay. Uh, I don't I don't know that there's many people that sort of embody action the way that Sam L does. Yeah, he, you know he's he he's got the swagger. He's he's got you know the attitude that plays well with it. Um, you know, and this is sort of a maybe a handing off of you know the the lineage of, of Shaft in a way, but uh, you know culturally they may from from day one from the very first one with uh, Gordon Parks at the helm, they made it culturally their movie. Yeah. You know, so from from an outside perspective, if you're if you're wanting to get a little more of a genuine. Hey, this is a, a African American film through and through. Th this is what this is, and uh, anyway, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Yeah, it, it, that's another one I got to see too. So my number four, uh, comic book related, and a lot of people could probably guess this was going to be on somebody's list today, is Black Panther. The uh, this is you know it came out a few years ago. It was really the the first main lead African America uh, African American actor in the MCU and it just you know it's it's through and through what uh, people wanted to be a representation of 
African-American culture. Even though this is African culture still. You get the Killmonger, the Maccabee Jordan in there. It created a great conflict. There were people that were still torn like, I don't know, like I, I kind of agree with the villain in this. Uh, you know, other people agreed with the, the, the hero, the, uh, with, with T'Challa. And, you know, just in the very end of it, for me, it was incredible whenever these little kids were looking at him and like, oh, goodness, like, like, this is something that I could do, too. Like, this isn't, you know, you know, it was like creating a new normal. And, and I get there's, you know, people have conflicts. You know, this is a fake country with fake characters. It's not a real representation of anything. However, I feel like it still inspires uh, or still inspirational. And it does give hope. And it, 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 it shows, I think, why people, the more uh, looking at the Killmonger's character, like you get a, a good understanding of how some people feel in the, um, in the more Malcolm X type of feel. And so I won't say the Black Panther Party because I'm not an expert on the Black Panther Party. But in general, the film was great. It was a great action and uh, just a great introduction to Wakanda and to the MCU Minus the little tiny itty bitty thing we get in uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron, so that's my number four. All right, so number, number three, three for me. We share actually. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah. did you want to start? Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. All right, Jingo Unchained. So, um, <laughs> I, I I realized something that there's a, a running theme for me amongst my, most of my movies here really? is. Uh, Yes, Samuel Jackson. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's he, he's in this as well. Um, so Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, you know why shouldn't it be on the list? You know, oh, he's he's a white guy. Yeah, he is. But I tell you what, though, when you're talking about a filmmaker that is progressive, Quentin Tarantino is progressive. Yeah. You know, he, here we have um, a, a slave slave owner kind of perspective. Um, you know, and Jamie Foxx, Jamie Foxx is an awesome actor. You know, he, he started off in comedy. I remember watching him, uh, living color stuff and, and, and everything. And this, it, it's so great to see where his career has gone. His, even his music is pretty decent too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to, to be able to, to see him play a role like this, uh, I, I think lends because of his acting skills, lends so much more depth to this character that he becomes even more relatable, which is exactly what uh, Quentin Tarantino wanted from him, is 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 that relatability. Uh, in contrast, we do get Samuel Jackson, who is more of the, uh, the true, you know, master-servant kind of guy, um, someone who's, you know, accepted the way that this is slavery and this is what we do and this is our role in life. And, you know, Jerry Fox's character, Jake, was like, no. <laughs> and it's because it's Quentin Tarantino. It's, it's got it's got the action in spades. So, yeah. And I think Samuel does a good job at playing a character he doesn't agree with. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he really does. <laughs> yeah, and the action in it is crazy. In the movie itself, gave us one of the best memes of um, Leo DiCaprio laughing. So a lot of people have utilized that for a lot of great comedy. And yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, Jamie, he just does an incredible job at acting in this film. Uh, you see, 
a, a total different type of a character from things that he has played in the past, especially from his show to uh, the early movies and stuff like that. And the, the film itself was very, I want to say eye-opening in a brutal way. Like, mm-hmm. it almost sure. kind of reminded me of Passion of the Christ. It was so brutal. And this film kind of did that for me. But at the same time, it was probably a lot worse than what we see in the film. So, uh, so yeah. So, we have something in common with our number twos. But I'm going to go ahead and let you start with yours. Okay. Uh, so, my number two is specifically Equalizer 2. So, uh, the Equalizer, the first movie was good. I liked it a lot. Equalizer 2, I felt like, really kind of came into its own. Um, that's Equalizer 1 there that, that we're showing. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Well. But, the, but, but, but that's okay. That's okay. And, and, and again, the, the first movie was good. But to me, the second one was, was even better. It really came into its own. Um, I, I feel like um, Denzel really kind of finds his groove in the second movie. Um, you know, he 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 embraced the character in the first one for sure, but it's like the second one we get a little more background about his uh, alphabet stoop background, CIA, whatever. Um, you know, the thing that you have to remember is that the Equalizer started off as a TV show, I think in the 80s, late 80s, uh, with a white guy. And so this is essentially a recasting. Um, and it, uh, the TV show took place in New York. This one's in, I think, Boston. Um, and so, it, you know, I, I'm not a huge, huge fan of recasting. Uh, but this is one that I felt like was absolutely perfect. Um, Denzel is complete gentleman through and through, no matter what he does. And I think that that's, that was something that was needed for this character. Um, and then action. For someone his age, I don't even know how old Denzel is these days. Yeah. But uh, I, I know he's been around the block a couple times. There's two or five billion. Yeah. Um, he was born in 54, so do the math. Um, he, you know, he, he, I, and, and, and I guess give it up for the director too, to be able to say, you know, hey, we're creating action without having him do ridiculous stunts or having to do a body double do ridiculous stunts that you're going to sit there and say, there's no way he did that. You know, it was all completely believable stuff. Um, now, just real quick about the TV show, um, because we, we have a new recasting of the TV show with Queen Latifah. Um, I am currently watching it. I do enjoy the TV show. I don't know that she was necessarily the best casting for the role. She, she's got acting skills for sure. Um, but is it strong enough? Uh, I'm not entirely certain. Uh, I have her in one of my honorable mentions, and I'll talk more about her, her acting later. So, Okay. So then my number two is also a sequel. It's Creed 2. Uh, more so we know that, again, the first one was good. I felt like the second one, you just saw a lot more conflict, a lot more acting pulled out of Michael B. Jordan, uh, becoming a father. You see him fighting uh, history in a way 
from where his father gets killed. So he, he's got the internal conflict. Like, am I doing this for my father's namesake? Am I doing it for, for my namesake? Am I doing it for my family? Like, why am I doing it? And I feel like that's a good lesson overall. So, um, and I can't remember if Ryan Coogler did this one or not. I know he did the first one, but in general, though, it was just a really great film. Uh, it's a, it's a handoff type of a film. So you're seeing Rocky kind of hand over this boxing legacy to Creed. So we don't even know if we're going to see Rocky in the next one or not. I mean, he might have a mention or whatnot. Uh, then you got Tessa Thompson. She did a great job acting in this. Uh, for me, this is one of her better roles, in my opinion, from, uh, from what I've seen her do. So it's, you know, I would say co-led, African-American co-led. But I'm looking forward to the third one. And, uh, and Michael B. Jordan, again, he was in my number four pick, Black Panther. Uh, just mm-hmm. at, in general, he's he's becoming a phenomenal actor to the point where uh, I feel like he could do anything. Like, honestly, I feel like he could do any type of role. And this is a good action role for him to do. And, um, and again, you got the other areas of life that he's doing as well. Becoming a husband, father, all that stuff. So... Uh, it's a really good film, man. So um, that's my number two. Sean, what is your number one? I'm guessing there's an actor in it that we've seen on this list before. <laughs> yeah, at least one. Uh, yeah, Samuel Jackson in The Hateful Eight. Uh, another Tarantino movie. Yeah, I am a bit of a Tarantino fan. Um, I, I am too. I am too from the films I've seen. Yeah. So, uh, y- you know, this is I, Westerns. I like Westerns in general. Um, and he's just, he's just a sly character, man. Uh, it's, it's a fun story. Part of what I love about this is that it kind of reminds me of, um, some of my other favorite films like, um, Lifeboat, um, by Hitchcock and, uh, 12 Angry Men, where the setting is largely the bulk of the film is largely taking place in one specific setting. So here we're watching the stagecoach uh, scene, but once they get to, to this, um, this refuge, this, um, you know, sort of all in one place of a cabin of um, uh, a place to stay, place to rest, food, provisions, whatever. Um, that this is this is where the bulk of the story really happens and um it's 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 just a lot of fun to be able to follow this storyline it's got uh twists and turns it's got some of your your uh usual tarantino actors in it uh has kurt russell it's got uh tim roth and michael madsen in it uh i I like seeing uh jennifer jason lee in it as well her character was not anything I would have pegged her to play, uh, which I think is what's fun about it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, there's Madsen, yeah. So, you know, there's just all sorts of fun stuff here. Um, if you haven't watched this movie, I definitely recommend watching it. I even have the um, the book for the script. That's how much I like this movie. So That's another one I haven't seen. I think, let me see, three of these I have not seen. So, wow. uh, so my number one is man on fire. Uh, this okay. is, this is probably, I don't know. This came out back whenever I was maybe in high school and just everything about the film, it felt different. The cinematography was different. The coloring they had on it was unique. Uh, but Denzel, he's playing this retired 
uh, killer assassin guy who was just a, a, a weapon of death, a weapon of mass destruction. And he's drunk, trying to find some work. He gets his bodyguard for this family's little girl. And I wonder, I don't know if it's New Mexico or Mexico. I can't remember. But just the, the seeing him and again, it's like heavy action. But it's not like like pointless action where you got to have that that stunt double. Like he can still do incredible things to make this an action-based movie or action-packed movie that he can do himself. And, yeah. uh, and that was incredible seeing <clears throat> his relationship grow. And honestly, man, like this is one of the first films uh, in high school that I actually teared up to. There's a scene in it toward the end where it's just like, man, this is powerful. And, yeah. and, and just seeing the relational, like him connecting with a, a family he never met, and just seeing all that stuff. And for me, this is definitely one of my top, I know it's a top five film of mine. I had it on my top five film list. And uh, it's one I definitely still own today and love to watch. Uh, my family can't watch it because it's a little too rough and graphic for them. But it is a fantastic film. And to me, I was trying my best while making this list. I was trying not to have too many of one actor in the films. Um, one actor that wasn't on our top five list that I could recall was Will Smith. And as I was making my list, I was like, why is Will not on my list? And I really can't figure it out. He just didn't make top five, but he's kind of an honorable mention. I will say pursuit yeah. of happiness for him and the, the bad boy films with you know, him and Martin Lawrence. Those are really good too. And uh, he just, I don't know, for some reason he just didn't hit my top five. See, and, and, and I've always liked his more sci-fi stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I robot was good, you know, and, and I feel like that, um, his movies are, are are decent, they're good, they're enjoyable, but are they really top five worthy? You, you know, and it, do I own some? Yes. Do I watch them? Yes. But movies that you just get like, oh, dude, man, let me tell you about this film. Eh, not, not as much. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I, I like it. I've always loved Independence Day, um, you know, and it, it's... You know, but it it didn't even make an honorable mention for me. Man, man. So what is your honorable mentions? Well, I have uh, Hidden Figures. Um, it may seem kind of out of place for my normal uh, comedy or action-oriented. Um, but I have to say that, you know, it was one of those movies that, along with uh, The Green Book, um, that really kind of, you know, that are current movies that kind of help you see things more clearly to, to understand uh, history. And we are talking about black history this month. So um, that, you know, there were huge contributions and there were huge things that folks had to live with or overcome um, in, in society that, man, we were just real jerks. I, I mean, you know, a-holes for, for to, to quote um, Star-Lord. It, it it was not it was not a good time you know so again going back to making america great again when was it um i don't know but hidden figures was one of those movies that uh i i teared i laughed it had a good enough amount of comedy to it and the actresses in it are just freaking awesome so yeah they're all um, top notch 
Yeah, they really are. Medea goes to jail was on my honorable mentions list. It's uh, I mean, it's just funny. To me, it's my favorite Medea movie. Uh, Black Klansman is yeah, just yeah. off the hook. That, um, that was good too. It's uh, you know, it, it, again, it, it gives you enough of a uh, clue into history, African American history, and um, it, you know, without being like too much uh, uh, overwhelming kind of thing. Um, that I, I don't know, it, it, it just found a good balance there. So, um, last one that I have on my list here, but I remembered one more. Uh, last holiday, so talking about Queen Latifah, this has got Queen Latifah and LL Cool J. Um, NCIS LA is probably my favorite NCIS uh series, so I, I am a, a bit of an LL fan. Um, <laughs> He's got better acting skills than she does. Um, <laughs> she she did well in Last Holiday. I think she had a great director that was able to coax that out of her. Um, and she's doing a don't get me wrong, she's doing a fine job in in this TV show. And maybe it's you know director or production that's making it seem like it's not quite up to snuff. Um, and 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 it's not that I don't think that I can you know, see her as like a, a former CIA agent um, as much as it's not really coming across that way. You know, she she's more rough and tumble than, you know, the intelligence side of the CIA. Right. Um, right. And so I, I don't know. It, it, it likes some of that, that little bit of genetic law that I kind of expect from the equalizer. Uh, but getting back to my, my last honorable mention that I forgot about, uh, and I'm trying to make sure that I got the, um, the right, um, title here. Um, it was, as far as I know, just called the CSA or Confederate States of America. Um, and it was a Spike Lee film. And I'm still trying to pull it up. And I'm I'll do mine real sick. quick. I, I got a couple more. No. Okay, go ahead. Up. I'm sorry. So Set It Off to me was a good film. It was, uh, it was comedy, action, drama, all, all sorts of uh, stuff. Yeah. It did have Queen Latifah in it. And she was playing a more uh, suitable role for her real life lifestyle. Um, also, uh, just kind of a classic. Uh, it, it's just one that I feel like I watched as a kid, not necessarily wanted to live it out per se. But uh, Boys in the Hood is definitely, for me, it's an honorable mention, not really one of my top films because I wouldn't watch it over and over and over again. And I had another one that I was going to, Oh man, it slipped my mind. Oh, Last Dragon. Last Dragon is a classic uh, film. Again, I, I think because it's dated, it doesn't necessarily hit my top five list, but definitely one of my favorite kung fu movies. Uh, one of my favorite fighting movies, I'd say. Uh, but as far as like African American led films, it, it didn't quite hit it. But I, I think that'd probably be number six. So. You got your, I you know actually I'm scrolling through Spike Lee's films and of course there's lots of great stuff on here from you know Malcolm X to, uh, of course Black Klansmen. Um, 
I'm not seeing it. I rented this movie. I, I, I promise you I rented this movie. Um, what was it about? So it's it's taking uh, the perspective of what happened if... Um, uh, okay, yeah, here it is. Um, maybe he didn't do it, and... No, he didn't. Sorry. I, I really thought he was he had done it, and he was in it. Anyway, a uh, different African-American director, Kevin Wilmot did it um so it's it's assuming that um the south won the civil war and what would uh it what would society be like today uh hmm. if slavery was still a thing and um and it's uh it's 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 interesting uh it, it'll make you think it'll make you laugh it'll make you cry it'll make you well, hopefully it makes you angry um, because there, there's stuff in there that just, you know, you, you should get mad about. So, but gotcha. what if the South had won the war? Cool deal. But that is our top five African-American-led films. Let us know what yours are in the comments, and uh, we'd be glad to, to check out any we maybe haven't seen, or, uh, you know, I think Sean's probably seen more than I have, but I'd, I'd love to check out some new films. So tell me what I need to see that I might not have mentioned and yeah, man, we'll be back with another segment here soon. Make sure you stay tuned. Topics. Nope. Now I'm with the Lord and everything I'm on is about it. Yeah. And now they want to all to my content. I'm all for that nonsense. Prayed up, serving till my days up. And I'm laid up in the grave in my great tubs. Praise to the Savior for grace that he gave us. I'm done getting paid off of crazy behavior. Now I got my faith high, waiting for the day I could have them all falling at the cross like AI. And when it gets hard, I'ma pray it's through the chaos. The spit dope that I overdose most Yeah. Homie, I'm a Christian, a real one, and I don't care what you think about it. All my life ain't nothing y'all really than Christ. You better read about it, read about it, hey. And let them know if you a Christian, a real one, be about it, don't speak about it. You gave this life so you ain't have to pay that price. You better think about it, think about it, hey. Living for the most high, feeling like I won't die. Before I get to meet him, I'ma see him crack the whole sky. Everything he teaching me, I'm speaking through the flow now. And it's even sweeter than before now. Got me yelling God over my name. Christ over fame, be the same me before they added lights to my name. Fame make you not realize you a slave. Be obedient, your master, add ice to your chains. Christ be the key though, your life is the keyhole. You were blind to your pride, tied to your ego. If life was a movie, would Christ get the lead role? Or just some insignificant slide in your B-roll? Homie, I'm a Christian, a real one. And I don't care what you think about it. All my life ain't nothing y'all really than Christ. You better read about it, read about it, hey. And let them know if you a Christian, a real one. Be about it, don't speak about it. He gave this 
life, so you ain't have to pay that price. You better think about it, think about it, hey. See, I claim to be a Christian, and I'm true to that. Your favorite rapper claim he's strapped, but never pack a tool. In fact, I know some Christian cats that never rap it, and they do be strapped. But they don't flash it for the cameras, nor do they approve of that. Real recognize, real, who are you, where you be at? I don't got a stunt to my son, I'm the coolest dad. You ain't hard, pimp, you just Clark Kent. What you mean? You jump in the booth and become Superman. And it ain't just fake thugs, it's fake Christians. If you don't walk your faith out, you ain't Christian. I went to church for years and they ain't living now. Walk close with them and yeah, I know the difference. Homie, I'm a Christian, a real one. And I don't care what you think about it. All my life ain't none of y'all really than Christ. You better read about it, read about it, hey. And let them know if you a Christian, a real one. Be about it, don't speak about it. He gave his life so you ain't have to pay that price. You better think about it, think about it, hey. Welcome back to Solomon's Porch with your host, Jason. And Sean. And we are back with another album review here on The Porch. This week, we are covering a long-awaited album that I've been looking forward to for so long now. The new Love and Death album, Perfectly Preserved. So the, the last album was released way back in 2013, eight years ago. Uh, we got the single, Lo Lamento, back in 2016. So I've been patiently waiting with fingers crossed and knees, you know, going up and down and waiting for this album to drop. And it finally dropped on the 12th of February. And so uh, here is the album cover. In case you want to look it up, check it out. I thought it was a very interesting album cover. Uh, I was trying to figure out if that was a naked woman, and I think it is. But obviously they have her covered up. So... Uh, let's dive into it, man. I know uh, at the very beginning, I don't want to try this. I want to see if we can guess each other's favorite track and least favorite mm. track. Uh, we haven't done this before, but I thought it'd be cool to see if we could figure it out. And honestly, I would love for everybody else to try to figure out which do you think are mine and Sean's favorite and least favorite before we tell them. And so I would have to say, I honestly, looking at my notes here, I'd say probably Sean's least favorite might be Let Me Love You. And his favorite would probably be uh, the heaviest on here, which might be Affliction or part of Affliction. Okay. Was I right? Uh, I, I mean, you were definitely in the ball field. Okay. Um, I. <laughs> I still sort I, I I don't know. I, I think that um when when they released the song down, you know, uh, it, it it was the the, the problem did is, it let is that you I down? was expect it really did. I was expecting so much more from them. So every time I hear it I kinda go, ah, let's just go. They 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 could have done so much more. Um so I I think I'm sort of somewhat biased. Um, as, as far as a, a favorite, um, the affliction is definitely in my, my top four. Um, I, you know, it's sad to say, but I think Lo Lamento is still my favorite. Uh, and, 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 and I'll explain why when, when we go through the, the, the tracks, uh, okay. for me, the first half of the album was just, I could do without it. The second half starting at about track seven was, uh, all that's really worthwhile. 
Okay. So, what do you think mine were? Uh, your least favorite. Um, I, uh, maybe Death of Us or Slow Fire. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I think Death of Us. I think the one that I really didn't like as much is probably uh, The Hunter or Tragedy. Really? Uh, Death okay. of Us was okay, but, you know, I'll, I'll go in and uh, we'll talk about more detail later. So, uh, anyway, so let's go ahead and go through this album. So, one thing that I noticed. Oh, you, you didn't tell me what your favorite was. Oh, um, <laughs> it's either Lola Mento or Affliction. The problem was, is I listened to <laughs> Lola Mento. I've listened to so many times. Right. And Affliction's new. So it was hard to tell if I'm listening to that more because it's so new. But it's got to be a tie between those two. Okay. Uh, overall, I agree with you. I felt like the first half of the album was was not fantastic for me. Not as far as Love and Death goes. If it was another band, I might have would have liked it. But I think I was just wanting something a lot heavier. And so, and honestly, Slow Fire starts to pick it up a little bit. Um, so mine starts at Slow Fire. It was a slow start, but Slow Fire picked it up. So. <laughs> well, well let, let, let me start off with saying that, in general, you're, you're talking about some excellent guitar work. Yeah. Um. Th- th- there's just no question about that. So let's let's not even, you know, pretend that when we're criticizing these songs that we're criticizing the the musical genius and skill that takes place within the guitar work. Um. What we're what, what we're really doing is that we're kind of nitpicking and pulling stuff out of this. Is the album overall uh, a good album? Yeah, it's decent. I don't think it's as good as um their. First, um, um, between here and lost. Between here and lost. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's not um, here. Between here and lost felt like it had more diversity to it, a little more genuine sound. Um, this album feels like that. They said, "Hey, here's a template, and we're going to follow this template for every single track." We're going to start off with some really cool intro. We're going to go into this um, melodic, um, clean lyric. And, and that's that's probably the big point here. Clean lyric uh, section. Then we're going to get a breakdown closer to the end, halfway to, uh, you know, midway to the end. And, and we're going to get this, like, really kind of cool, crunchy, whatever. We're going to do something fun, playful here. And then it's going to come back to that clean lyric thing. And then we're going to end it out with something kind of fun and neat. And and that's pretty much the formula throughout this entire album. And if, if I can pick that out, it's a sad day. I'm, I'm, right, right. I'm, I'm just saying. You, you know, you, you've got on, on Between Here and Lost, Whip It, which was a cover track. And, 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 it, and it was just so out there. It, it was so off base of anything else, you know, and, and, and they didn't do anything like that with this album, except for what I feel like are the last half of this, uh, the track. So anyway, did you want to go track by track on this or how do you want to do? Yeah, let's do that. Um, so Infamy, I felt was a, uh, it was a nice intro, smooth. Yeah. 
And yeah. it, it, it almost reminded me a little bit of a, a Brutality's intro, just being nice and smooth and chill. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and I felt like it was a great transition into tragedy. And, and I'm not saying it the album was tragedy. I'm saying the, the track tragedy. Um, right. So what would you think about the uh, infamy? Uh, I, I agree with you. I, I thought it was it was a nice intro. Uh, did it really stand out? Not not a whole lot. Um, I you know you mentioned brutality's intro. I think brutality's intro was better. Um, okay. okay. It, you know it's and and uh, you know whatever. Is it, it was good. It just wasn't as good as it could be. I think. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, tragedy. So I felt like it had a great intro. It was a little bit of a, a mix of softer with a, a a harder bridge to it. And again, it, it didn't make me, I'll be honest, when I heard it, it didn't make me excited for the rest of the album, not this track. Um, it was okay. It was good. But again, my expectations for Love and Death are like raw, rough Brian Welsh vocals. One of the things about this album is I really feel like they were trying to transition more into uh, the other guitarist, J.R. Barris. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. He did a lot of vocals on this album. That's where that soft, the, the, the clean lyrics came from. And that part of the album may, reminded me of a red, slower songs type of a feel, um, which are not my favorite yeah. red songs. Yeah, I would I would even go so far as to say they sound more like uh, Breaking uh, Benjamin, which is ironic because the lead singer is featured on one of the tracks. But <laughs> it, it 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 felt it, the first half of the album, <clears throat> in in general, feels like uh, a Breaking Benjamin average rock song. You know, it's, is it's it not a, bad? It a, yeah, is it a good rock song? Yeah, it's a good rock song. Is it what you expect from Love and Death? No. Right. You know, we talked about the clean lyrics. You know, again, going back to, to Between Here and Lost, uh, you know, the the vocals on it are, are just gritty and grungy all the way through. So whether he's screaming or grunting or, or just even in the, you know, the sing-songy parts, they just have a bit more grout to them. Um, Breaking Benjamin actually has a song, and I, I did uh, jot it down, So Cold, which is a, a fairly recent track, which I think uh, exemplifies more of what I would have expected vocally on this album, um, but didn't really get. So, anyway, gotcha. Tragedy. So, so, three, down. Oh, three, down. Yeah, yeah you kind yeah. of you, you shared your feelings. You didn't like it. Uh, I thought it was okay. Uh, I definitely didn't think it was as good as Little Lamento whenever it came out as the single for the track. And it it, it kind of reminded me of whenever Brian Welsh joined Corn again, they had that lead single. I can't even remember the name of it. It's kind of what it reminded me of was that lead single where I was just like, uh, it's an okay song. I'm not going to put it on a playlist. Like, I'm not going to skip it on the album, but I'm not going to playlist it, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, um, yeah. And so that's kind of the way I felt about it. And, uh, you know, it was what it was. Now, number four, let me love you. For me, I I thought it was a, to me, it was the, the most radio sound that they had on the album. 
They had Lacey Sturm on it from Flyleaf. Uh, I felt like it was a good feature, but I was really hoping for her to come on Love and Death. It would have been a heavier Lacey vocal performance. And this was not. This was the sing, the the singing Lacey, which is fine. Like I love her worship album, the one that she has with her husband. I have no issues with her singing. And I think her singing was great. But again, uh, I feel like this is a. I almost feel like this is a Love and Death transitioning album from like metal to a rock slash hard rock type of uh, feel, which uh, it's okay. But you know, I'm a bigger fan well, of the metal. Yeah, and, and, and they signed with a, a record label to be able to get this album put out there. And so I don't know how much uh, influence that they had within the album, uh, and, and that could be part of it. I do know that, that Brian had said he wanted to work with Lacey um, in, in the future several years ago or so. Um, and, and the thing is, is that uh, we know that Lacey can pull out some nasty, grungy vocals. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and and so yeah, that that's kind of what we were, you know, would have thought, hearing that she was going to be on this album, and and you get this nice, soft, sing-songy kind of thing, and 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 again, that's fine. It's okay to have a track like that, um, but again, the whole first half of the album is like that. So. Um, I my, my biggest note for this track it was exactly what you said. It sounds like it's it's a radio track, so maybe that's that's their point is that they're trying to um, make more music that's going to be for radio plays to be able to generate more funds. I and, and I get that. I just don't have to like it either. So yeah, I feel like like instead of having half of the album feel like this, I feel like they should have had this one song for radio and let the rest yeah. of the album be like the latter part of the album. But again, yeah. that's just our preference. We're not on the business end of things, so we can't necessarily make the calls of what the band should do for the better future well, yeah, we, of the band. We, we don't pay their bills. <laughs> I mean, we, we I bought the album. I, well, I pre-ordered it. So, uh, so as far as I, that goes... I, I'm not paying their current bills. <laughs> I, I, I I bought the last album. But yeah, that's yeah. It. Uh, so slow fire, for me, I just I had it was pretty good. I thought it was a creative intro, and they reintroduced that element of that intro into the latter part of the song. I don't know, can't remember yeah. if it was closer to the end or not. And uh, yeah, and it was. It is. I had it down as a pretty good song, is what I had. Um, for me, I felt like this was the the beginning of picking up the album on an upswing. And uh, how'd you feel about it? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. It, it probably is more of the picking up point, which makes it a good transition into, um, you know, track eight, the hunter. But, um, yeah, a really most notable thing was that intro. The, the intro was really pretty cool. Um, and, and you're right. It, it is sort of repeated, uh, sort of breakdown ish or whatever. Um, the little solo part toward the end. Um, and, and even the ending was really pretty decent too. So, yeah, yeah. but, but, but nothing that was just like, Oh my gosh. So, yeah. So the Hunter, uh, featuring Keith Wallen, I put down that it felt like a, a red song, a slower red song. And, well, uh, he, he's the lead singer breaking Benjamin. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and it wasn't, uh, even the breakdown, it wasn't like real heavy. It wasn't like some of the other breakdowns where it really picks up and you get this, you know, 10 second of head banging, fist pounding type of gu guitaring 
and uh, or just musical uh, instrumentation period. And so I felt like even that wasn't uh, exactly what I was kind of wanting. And this was the technically it was the third single for the album. And uh, but it is not for heavy metal fans is what I kind of came across at the end of it. I was thinking Sean probably didn't like the Hunter. So I don't know what your thoughts. No, it, 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 it's definitely, um, you know, I mean, there's only four tracks on here that I really kind of dig. And uh, in, in it made that list, uh, but it was the bottom of the list. Okay. So, okay. Uh, yeah. Lola Mento, one of the best songs on the album. And I don't know if they were signed to the record label when they did the single. They released that single back in 2016. And I'm looking at the, um, the credits here. At that time, it says here on Apple Music that it was Head Dog Music uh, under license to digitally sound records. Uh, this particular album, the album as a whole, is uh, Love and Death under exclusive license to Blind Tiger Entertainment. I'm not familiar with necessarily those labels and whatnot, but the single itself was fantastic. I loved it. Unfortunately, I felt like it shouldn't have been on the album. Though This is one of those things when I was looking at the track listing, I was like, there's 10 songs. We got the song almost at the halfway point in eight years between the last album and this album. I felt like it was, they were really trying to get as much music as they could on this. And this is one that they slid in there. And I love the song. I'm just not a fan of that move sliding this in to make it a full length album. I wasn't a fan of that, but the song itself is fantastic. It's great. One of my favorite, uh, love and death songs. Yeah. Again, hands down one, one of the best, uh, love and death tracks. Um, you know, again, this is this is the only track where the uh, sung vocals aren't so clean. They, right, they, they've got right. that 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 bit of grittiness to it. You know, it, talked about uh, the hunter with uh, Wallen on there. It, is that you know, even in so cold, he brings out some of that grittiness. So we know he can do this. So you know, why is it that we're cleaning up something that could have been, you know, more grungy? And again, I think that brings us back to the question of, of, you know, radio play and being able to sell stuff. And, you know, a nine track album, eh, 10 track. Okay. I'm good with. So I feel like you're right. It, it was more like, uh, we're coming up short. Let's put low lamento on there. Plus it was very popular. Yeah. Um, but, but it does feel a little bit out of place. If, feels in place in the last half of the album but out of place because of how the lyrics are done but still probably the best track absolutely affliction number nine uh it was a good mix of slow and hard it was i felt like it was a well-balanced track uh the last minute probably being my favorite minute in the whole album uh it picks up real heavy it rides that heavy wave I think it slows down a small portion of it, but uh, Affliction, again, it's probably my favorite new song on the album, uh, which yeah. is aside from Lo Lamento, and, uh, which, I mean, at the end of the album, I felt like they were trying to end this out uh, for the metal fans, and I, I really, really enjoyed it. And, yeah, man, what do you think? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Affliction, I felt like, feels a little more low lamento ish. Um and yeah, definitely is 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 a number two for sure. 
Um, and definitely number one, if you're just talking about brand new tracks. Um, it, it, it's got that little bit of darker side to things. And, and I think that that's kind of where love and death is always kind of recited. And maybe that's what they were going with, with this album was the love part. This the first half kind of like peace and war for demon hunter was, um, and, and, and I don't know, I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, but it, it's still not, you know, it, it's still, man, I, I didn't, I don't think they pulled that off. Uh, but Affliction, definitely worth uh, buying that track. I, something I, else I forgot to mention about uh, Low Lamento. The drumming stands out in Low Lamento. I did not specifically notice the drums in any other track. On oh, the sound. okay. Like, like, like I, I didn't sit there and go, oh, dude, that was, that was awesome. Drums, man. You know? Yeah, okay, you do that with ABR, Matt Griner's killing drums, and you're like, oh, whoa. Um, nothing else on this album felt like that except for Low Lamento. So, anyway. so it felt like they had a drum track that they were maybe with in a way. And, and I, I, mean, I, I'm, I, I know they actually have a drummer. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Isaiah Perez. And uh, I mean, the drums was cool for me with the album. I didn't notice anything I didn't like, but again, I didn't notice anything that really stood out. Um, and so I feel like, you know, the guitars stood out to me. The bass didn't stand out in a, a, a huge way, and the drums didn't stand out in a huge way. So to me, the drums and the bass on this album were like the IT guys during church. Like, you never know they're there unless something goes wrong. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, unfortunately. And so that, that shifts all the focus to uh, vocals and guitar, which was, that, that was great on the album. And, uh, sure. but the, uh, so the last track, white flag featuring Ryan Hayes, great single. I mm -hmm. love Brian's performance on this. I felt like he really stepped it up on this one. And, uh, and, and the breakdown for me, I absolutely loved it. Uh, the, and I mentioned that on the show before the five, four, three, two, one, and then they go into that little breakdown there. Uh, right. I, I loved it. This is this is definitely uh, probably my number three on the album. So one, two, and three is eight, nine, and ten for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and, and I would say that White Flag contends with Affliction for me uh, for that number two spot. And it I, the note the main note that I had on this track was that it felt like it was the most outside of love was the most complete song. So it felt the like it had the most richness to it. It felt like they spent time on this track. They really were into it. Their creative juices were going. Whereas, uh, you know, again, several of the other tracks just sort of felt like, hey, we're just following this pattern and we're just making this happen. We've got some lyrics and we're slapping this junk together kind of thing. This sounds like that this was a mature track that they've been working on. They've been cultivating uh, and, and, and growing. And, um, you know, one of the other kind of fun things is that, you know, so Ryan Hayes, uh, who's the uh, lead vocalist for uh, Righteous Vendetta, um, which, by the way, is a, a really cool band. Um, the uh, Isaiah used to be the drummer for uh, Righteous Vendetta and is now drumming for Love and Death. So uh, it, anyway, it, um, you know, I, I, I wish that um, in, in a lot of ways, I feel like maybe Love and Death was like they're saying, hey, we, we've got this this uh corn feel 
with our guitars and we're going to try to sound like righteous vendetta and uh <laughs> we're going to try to sound uh a little bit like breaking benjamin and they kind of mashed it together and this is kind of what they came up with uh and and, and it's not just because those those people are featured or people uh lead singers from those groups are featured on here but if you go ahead and listen to both of those other two bands and then you listen to this album you can get that sense you get that feeling from it and uh i i wish that they had leaned more toward the righteous vendetta side of things than uh than the breaking benjamin side but you know hey it's it's uh i'm i'm not gonna buy the whole album i'm i'm gonna only pick up the last three tracks that i don't have um gotcha gotcha which aren't the last three tracks but so overall this album makes me feel like they're leaning more toward getting uh jr the other guitarist to do the vocals and that's what it felt like i didn't hear as much brian on this album vocally and I, I really like Brian's vocals. However, he does not have a mainstream vocal voice. He doesn't have a safe Christian, whatever, you know, type of a voice. Uh, so I feel like they're, they're leaning that way. And unfortunately is with the, the, the vocals of Jr. you got to get more toned back in the musical aspect of it, because then you have a mismatch of vocals and instrumentation on that album. And so I feel like that's why some of the tracks were more laid back. They're a little more softer. So his vocals could come through. And again, the album as a whole is, is a great album. I really do like this album. I think the problem is, is I went in with the wrong expectations. And so it, it, it didn't meet my expectations. And that's where I kind of, I guess I failed or I fell short. It was, it was my own personal fault for thinking this was going to be like, like the Brian Welsh album, Save Me For Myself, and the, the last album. But, but, but you have good reason to believe that it's going to be one way because it's been their current sound. Yeah. And it, and, and it's not to say that a band can't change the dynamics of, of where they're going and be creative and branch out. Uh, and, and, and that's where I think I would have embraced uh, them trying to find a new sound for themselves. But again, it, go back and listen to a lot of Breaking Benjamin. And the first half of the album sounds like Breaking Benjamin. It, 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 it didn't sound with that little bit of the love and death twist on it, uh, guitar twist. It, it doesn't sound truly genuine. It, it just sounds very plasticky. And, and you made the analogy back to like Red's older stuff, it, it, you know, except for maybe their debut album. Um, it, it, it got to be the same thing and it all felt soft while still trying to be a, a, a hard rock metal, whatever band. And then red gave us an album that was worthwhile. Yeah. Red's declaration to me blows this album out of the water as a whole. Now, now don't get me wrong. There, there's still some really great standout tracks on here, but as a whole red's album blows this one away. Yeah, I really um, want to know how much label influence was on this album because I feel like yeah. like there's there's always that label like you got to make you got to make some of these types of songs in right. order for our labels core audience. And I think yeah. the issue with labels is they look at this is what's working for these bands, 
this is what we kind of want you to do some of at least somewhat like them. Uh, and I feel like that that's what happens with, with any, really with any underground that goes mainstreamish, even though I wouldn't say, you know, they're mainstream. Um, but same problem with Lecrae. Like Lecrae, he made what he wanted to make. And then musically, he was trying to keep up with what the mainstream sounded like in, on a musical way, the, the trend of the mainstream industry. Musically, not necessarily content-wise, but... And, and those are the things that I didn't like. I didn't like the, the mainstream sound. And this album has more of a mainstream sound. So it's still a good album, like I said, several times. But I really wish... I didn't feel like the label was pushing them to go a certain way. And, um, and so I won't, I won't Brian back on main vocals for everything. I mean, JR is good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's got bad vocals. I prefer the heavier grungy rough sounding vocals. That's what I prefer. And that's my preference. I don't know what everybody else likes and wants. This is Solomon's porch podcast. These are our thoughts on the album. So, um, so let us know what your thoughts are in the comments. Did you like it? What did you like? What didn't you like about it? And, um, and, but as far as like playlist songs for me, it is, uh, Lolamento, Affliction, White Flag, um, Slow Fire, Slow Fire, and Let Me Love You. Like the first half of the album, just one more thing. First half of the album, I can listen to all my kids in the car and they won't get like creeped out or frustrated or whatnot. You know, I mean, they like some rock, but it wouldn't like really, like, uh, the second half of the album, you know, seven through 10, I'd have to listen after I'm coming back from dropping them off at school. Uh, those are the ones I turn up louder. So yeah, man. Uh, so let us know what y'all think. Uh, love and death. I have no idea if y'all going to see this. We love you guys. We love your music. Uh, we love what you stand for. And I love what Brian does, uh, when he's playing with corn and touring with corn and all that kind of stuff, I really admire his heart for the gospel and for ministry. And, uh, this album just wasn't quite heavy enough for the Solomon's porch podcast guys. So we'll be back with another segment soon. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Solomon's Porch with your host, Jason. And Sean. And we are here to discuss a very interesting topic. So I saw a trailer on Facebook not too long ago for a movie called Church People. And the concept of the movie is you got this mega church, um, a mega church pastor, and he's doing a lot of these things to try to get people in the door. And you see he's getting a tattoo there of his church logo. And it's, hey, if we get this amount of people in, I'll do this crazy extreme thing. And so it becomes more about attendance than what appears to be, according to this trailer, about really preaching the gospel. His nephew there, I think that's his nephew, he's... um. The, the, the object of the film is they're trying to figure out what to do major for Easter. And his nephew says, there's something more major than the crucifix and resurrection. Like, there's nothing more major than that. Like That's the most extreme event in history. And they're like, no, we got to go big. And, and, and he's saying, just preach the gospel. Like, just give them the gospel. That's enough. Like, that's all you need to do. You don't need to do anything crazy and extreme. And the mega pastor sits down with his planning committee, marketing team, and they decide to do a live crucifixion to his actual nephew, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, they got the scene there with the doctor saying, yeah, we can avoid all the major arteries and nerves and all that stuff if we put it in a certain place, yada, yada, yada. So the, the, the question is, do we really feel like the gospel in itself is enough? And I thought it was a good idea just to talk about it and and talk about what churches do to try to get people in the door uh marketing things like that is is marketing in itself bad like is it bad to do sermon series on on um controversial topics things like that or should we just show up every week give them the gospel preach from the word and that's enough and so, Sean, any any thoughts on at least the concept of the film? Like, well, first off, uh, I was glad to see Donald uh, Faison doing something again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a Christian something too. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know that he is, but um, anyway, I always liked him as as Turk on Scrubs. Um, gotcha. Probably shouldn't have admitted that I watched Scrubs, but anyway, um, you know, I, I think that. Um, we're in a, a time where critically analyzing what we're doing as Christians and as the body is um, a little more acceptable uh, to do in uh, media. Um, you know, we've talked about a couple of independent films uh, that have been done that, you know, do a similar kind of thing. Um, but they're more of a, a documentary as opposed to this being more of a, a story-based fictional kind of thing. Um, in terms of doing that for entertainment purposes, I, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure that there's ever a Christian film that's ever been made that was for entertainment purposes. Um I think everybody's got such a specific agenda. Um, to me, doing agenda movies are passe. I'm I'm kind of over it. If, if I'm gonna, if, if I mean honestly, if if you're gonna have an agenda, just do a documentary and let me just watch that. Yeah. Uh, that way, if I'm interested in it, I'll do it. Don't try to wrap it up with a pretty bow. That's um, a good point. I actually really enjoy most Christian documentaries that I see. Yeah. And the films always fall short. So that's a good point. So 
to be able to to watch this, I think, you know, are are they are they trying to make it more palatable that way? I and and I think that's the case. Um, so we're critically analyzing what we're doing and um, you know how we're perceived even by um, the non-churched uh, community. I, I guess you could say. Um, can we, should we, you know, look, I, I, I think that it, there was a point in time when pretty much every church was doing something a little bit weird. Right. Uh, you and I were a part of a church where the pastor said, if we get X number of people, um, what did he do? He got up on the roof and preached one Sunday. Um, and yeah, you know, that, that was, you know, kind of whatever. It's kind of mundane compared to getting a tattoo of your church logo or shaving your head, I guess. Right. And, 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 and we've done, you know, some other shock stuff before, uh, for youth groups and, and whatever. Um, and, and so to a degree, there's some of that that takes place, but again, I think the big point here that they're trying to get at is, does it water down the gospel? Are we losing sight of um, what, what our purpose really is? Right. And when, when we look at that and we say, okay, well, what is our purpose? Excuse me. Um, you know, it, it's first and foremost to preach the gospel. Uh, through that, we, we expect that there will be salvations, and through that, we expect to follow up and disciple. Now, you, you know, when we start losing sight of that, um, it's not a... Um, it, 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 it does become a sin, but it's it's not an irreparable harm kind of thing, which I think is what some people sort of uh, take it to. I know that at least my home church would have said, you know, hey, you start doing these things and, and that, that's irreparable harm to the church. Uh, and, and, and I don't think that's really the case here. Um, you, you know, his, his Superman suit, people could argue that, you know, okay, well, you know, the fact that you brought in secular uh, society into the church uh, is evil or wrong, and it, and it takes away from the gospel of Christ. I think that using a lot of those analogies is, is extremely helpful. So, that, you know, there, there's definitely, you know, there can be a line that you can cross, but there's certainly a gracious plenty of things that you can do that still incorporates it. Uh, I've, I've mentioned this before on the show that there was a church, and it's a huge mega church and church that I say huge mega, church, huge mega church for our area it would be a huge mega church. It, it's a large church, and it's a church that a lot of other churches have modeled themselves after. That my wife and I went to, um, I don't know, half dozen times or so. Um, that was in the area where we were living at the time, and their um, children's uh, classroom, one of their children's classrooms, was designed like a McDonald's. And even had McDonald's logo and and you know sort of product type fake product items in there and, and everything, and I really kind of had a problem with the idea of um, being sponsored by McDonald's or sponsoring them or however you wanted to look at it. 
Um, it's not even a good place to have like representation of McDonald's is not great food or healthy. Yeah. And, and it's not good to be able to encourage your kids that way, you know, and, and I understand that the, maybe the idea was to say, Hey, what's a place that kids like to go to? Oh, they love going to McDonald's. So let's make this like McDonald's. But then are they thinking, Hey, you know, I want to go to church and learn about whatever I, you know, and, and I understand that a good chunk of that can be boring for a kid too. I'd rather go into, you know, a pokey world than, you know, than Moses world or, you know, even the ark for that matter. And the ark's probably the most palatable for most kids. So, yeah, I think there's, you know, as far as gimmicks, like doing crazy things just to get people in the door. Uh, like this movie almost made it sound like it was just for attendance purposes only. It was almost like, hey, we want to get a huge crowd in here. Uh, we'll give you the bare necessity in order to call it a church service. I'm not sure if that's what the film's about. That's kind of what it feels like. But, you know, like uh, before it was my church, uh, <laughs> church behind us, they, they had a sign up one, su- one Sunday on the highway and it said, what's the big deal about porn? And the whole idea was a lot of men struggle with porn and, and a lot of women apparently do too. And so let's let people know the church is talking about this issue and what the Bible says about it. And like, that's the way to get people to know this is what we're talking about. And yes, that's a part of marketing and marketing isn't bad. All marketing is, is telling people what you're doing. That's what marketing is. And you can do it in a good way or a bad way. And so that I think a lot of people is concerned about is, Oh, well, people are going to be more concerned about uh, like, if you do like a big, like a Halloween Palooza thing. Well, people are only coming for the candy. Like they're only coming to see this, that, and the other. They're not really coming to get the message. And, you know, I think the argument there is it's good for people to come and get the message. Like if they come for something else and they get the message, that's better than them not coming at all. And I think the core, the core idea here is the message has to be there. The gospel has to be there. Like, no matter what you do, and this is the same, like, Christian hip-hop. You know, a lot of people listen to the show. They listen to Christian hip-hop. You want Christian hip-hop to sound good. You want it to be relevant to non-believers where they can hear the similar beats and tempos and sounds and things like that. But the core of the message is what's going to differentiate a Christian hip-hop artist from a secular hip-hop artist. And that's that's the key. Same thing with music. Like... Um, I think the the problem is 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 if we get into a mindset where our only concern is getting people in the door, just to keep them at the door, just to get them to tithe and, and, and offer and, and this that and the other. I think that's where our issue comes into play. And so, but it's like the and, and and I feel like too much in a church now we act like you can't do both. It's like the only way to really give people the gospel is to give it to them in a bland way. Like that's it. I mean, if you, you think about it in the uh, day of Pentecost, the day where the Holy Spirit came on the disciples and they were speaking loud, they were preaching in other languages and things like that, like that attracted people. They were like, hold on, <clears> wait <throat> a second. We're not used to seeing like Pharisees don't do this. This isn't what the typical church does. These people are doing something different. The Holy Spirit's doing something different. They were attracted to it. Peter preached the gospel. 3,000 were added to the church. 
Like, yeah, but you're also talking about the time when <clears throat> people didn't have other uh, things kind of going on in the same manner as we do today. So, yeah. you, you know, you, they weren't competing with YouTube. They weren't competing with TikTok. They weren't competing with, you know, any of these other things that, that we got going on today. And so, you know, to be able to say that people were more spiritual at the time, certainly it was much more a larger part of their overall culture and day-to-day lives. So for them, you know, I mean, it was, I, frankly, it was part of their identity. You, you know, I, you say Jew today, and it's both uh, ethnic and religious. So, um, you know, it's far more ingrained at, at, at that time than it is today. Um, we're so disassociated, so disconnected from it. Um, you know, like when you talk about, you know, hey, um, you know, your your issues with being um, nationalist uh, or having a sense of nationalism versus being a Christian first and foremost, you know, okay, I happen to be an American, that's fine, whatever, but I'm a Christian. And, and that being the most important part of your identity. Well, there's too much of society today that just doesn't even give a rip. <laughs> you know, um, they, they identify with everything else. I'm a gamer. Uh, you know, there's a commercial out right now that's, you know, talking about, um, I think it's, it's a car commercial, but everybody's like, you know, I'm a foodie, I'm a gamer, I'm an audiophile. <clears throat> and so you have, to get, you have to contend with all of that to get Christ to them. How do you get Christ to them? And and so it's a constant struggle. And this is where, you know, definitely my home church, um, you know, a lot of those older folks would have been like, you just preach the gospel and, and let it be. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I totally get that. Um, and, and, and I understand that there's a certain level of that uh, that has to be, but where, how do you help them create that desire that you're talking about? And, and I think that's just something that we all sort of struggle with is um, how, do we, how do we make it so that it is that way? And I think therein lies part of the problem is that we're trying to figure out, we are trying to figure out how we can make it palatable. Right. As opposed to living the life that people then sit back and say, oh, wow, wait a second. And maybe that's part of it is that maybe our lives are not enough example of Christ that people are seeing and wanting such that they don't need a bunch of glammed, hyped up stuff to be able to get them in through the doors. Yeah. And just this show, we talk about comic book stuff. We talk about Star Wars, Marvel, DC. We talk about that stuff. But the goal is to always have something biblical important to talk about every single show. Something. Even when we had the Star Wars Day, we talked about what the gospel looked like in comparison to Star Wars, good and bad, this, you know, all that kind of stuff. We still incorporated the gospel into it. Like, and I feel like that's because people could look at this film and say, oh, well, Solomon's Porch does the same thing. They they do all these, you know, these top five secular things and top five comic book things. And they're all based on Greek mythology and yada, yada, yada. But if we were to leave it at that, like if we only were looking at numbers and said, okay, we noticed that we're getting more viewers. If we talk about Superman. So we're going to talk about Superman every week. 
we don't get as many numbers when we talk about the gospel, so we're just not going to do as much gospel talking about or or discipleship or biblical topics. We're going to avoid those because they don't get as many viewers. We're going to lean more toward the things that are more entertaining, the things that draw people in to keep the numbers up. Like that would be wrong. But to try to get people to come and listen to the gospel, like to find ways to get them interested, what are these Christians doing? Let's let's go see what they're about. It, it looks interesting. And then give them the gospel, like give them the thing that truly makes us happy. I mean, yeah, we enjoy these things. But the true true happiness comes from from Christ. True peace comes from Christ. True whatever truth comes from Christ. And I think that's the thing that, you know, we as the church have got to make sure we're we're keeping that at focus. And, and this goes into a bunch of different areas. So you got prosperity gospel. The idea that you come to God because he would keep you healthy and wealthy. He would keep you, keep your bank accounts full. He'll give you the things that you want, this, that, and the other, you know, that that's part of this could be related to that in a way where you're just trying to get people in to be to to fulfill their what some would call their uh their carnal desires. And so instead of people going to church to to try to understand the Bible more, to understand Jesus more, to hear the Bible being taught. And yeah. Well, you you know, you're talking about how um there really is is that balance so when we're talking about you know uh comic book things or movies or or uh whatever other media that's secular in nature it's about that balance it reminds me of um uh carlo uh, ruiz um carlo the cuban ruiz so if you're in in the foodie foodie world you know who he well, was he's passed away, um, but he gave credit to Guy Fieri. Uh, Fieri, uh, I always mispronounce it, but anyway, um, for having saved his life because Guy showed him how he could live a you know restaurateur, cutting edge, fun uh, kind of. Um, you know, lively person and still balance that with a family life. So this is a total secular comparison here. But the point was, is that he said, I saw an example of how to live a better life through this person. And I wanted that. And so when we say, hey, we're into comic books, we're into these things, but we balance that with an appropriate amount of Christian perspective, of, of thought, of life, um, that then those folks who are only in the world, that are in that faith fandom, or in the fandom, sorry, faith and fandom, uh, in the fandom side of things, can find faith. Yes, I totally ripped that off, Hector, but at least I'm giving you credit, brother. Um, and 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 that's that that's that balance that that we're really talking about uh even within the the argument within this movie is that balance of being able to say okay so how do we how do we you know still reach people with the gospel and again they're they're talking about really attendance numbers that sort of thing um and that's a problem 
within the mindset of the church of saying we need to have more money. Um, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with money. It's about the balance of it as well. So yeah. um, how, how, do, how do we help folks do that? And I think the best way is through examples. So hopefully with this show, what people are seeing is that there is balance. There is harmony between having some of these things and being able to be a Christian as, as well. You know, we can be in the world, but not necessarily of it. And right. so we can enjoy the things of this world, but not necessarily be a, a, a geek, a Trekkie, you know, or, or, or whatever. Um, we are Christians that happen to enjoy those things. Yeah, so I wanted to share three three things real quick, biblical things, uh, before I end out my thoughts. One is that uh, when you think about taking secular things and using interweaving the gospel into them, or help, or, or using those secular ideas to help uh, explain the gospel, explain the kingdom of God, things like that. Jesus did this all the time. He took the farming, which is completely secular. And he used that to explain the kingdom. Like, that's what he did all the time. So he didn't take the old, like, think about it. How, how, how often did Jesus use the Old Testament to explain the kingdom of God? Not that much. He used secular ideas of that time that people understood. And that was like common knowledge to explain the kingdom of God. So if we're saying that we should never take secular ideas or, or non gospel exclusive biblical exclusive ideas to promote the gospel you're telling jesus and paul they did wrong paul he quoted secular uh poets and authors to get points across he did that and these were non-christian people that he was quoting and then even even in in secular matters like uh this isn't quite the same but whenever when it comes to like government and taxes and things like that like Jesus, they came to Jesus and said, Hey, did we pay taxes to Caesar? Did we do this, that, and the other? He used his, his Christian point of view to address those issues. And, um, so these are all areas of life that you know, we can use life and things in life to help promote and explain the gospel. And then we can take areas that, uh, and then we're also supposed to, we're definitely required to take secular areas and anytime we're involved with them, bring our gospel or our biblical understanding to those areas. So, um, so is the gospel enough? I think the question is for what, like, like, wh what are you talking about? Like is, should you just sit outside at the park and just read scripture and just, just read the Bible by itself? Because some people believe that preachers talk too much. That they should only be reading scripture, and that that's pretty much it. Yes, you do. And oh. so, that's not what the uh, you know. You read the Old Testament, or you read the New Testament teachers, and look at how much they're using the Old Testament. And I'm not saying they don't; they do that, but to help the people of that day and age to understand the Gentiles to understand, then they use secular ideas and stuff. So. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. Uh, I hope I'm not wrong, though. Sean, do you th do you think you're right or wrong? Or oh, I, I definitely think I'm wrong. Okay. okay. <clears throat> well, that's good news. So uh, 
go check out the trailer for Church People. I'll, I'll try if I can remember to put the the link in the description for the show so you can go check that out. I can't remember when it's coming out, but either way, uh, we would love to get your thoughts on this issue. It's a big, major issue. Uh, the church has been debating, arguing this for years and years and years. The uh, movie's supposed to, be, supposed to be in theaters March 13th, so what does that mean? I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, starring Stephen Baldwin and Thor Ramsey. Thor Ramsey is actually the main character, so kind of cool. Awesome. So we will see y'all next time on the show. Make sure you stay tuned. Always remember, and this is gospel, Jesus loves you more than we ever could. What happens on the porch stays on the porch. No, oh, no, that's 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 something else. Sorry, that's not quite it. All right, let's go ahead and end this. <laughs>